Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Great afternoon, Anita, from Europe to the US. Thanks for having you. Thank you very much for asking. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. Perfect. I mean, you, you are as well, I would say, a, a veteran in terms of reimbursement and market access, I guess, from a global and I think also from a US perspective, right? But I think whoever doesn't know you, where I would believe there are not so many people out there, you could maybe just uh, quickly introduce yourself and then we can jump into some of the topics we might want to discuss today. Is that fine with you? That sounds good. Yes, I, I love being called a veteran. Sort of, um, that says two things. It means that uh, obviously I've been around for a while, but it also means that I've, you know, that experience of having been able to start in Europe, because um, as you possibly guessed from the accent, uh, while I live currently on the east coast of America, um, I'm a transplant. I've been in America for 22 years. Um, I started uh, in health economics and outcomes research um, at a time when we really had to explain what that was for people. And I've been working um, in larger companies, larger pharmaceutical companies um, for over 20 odd years. I mean, and then I started my own consulting business once I've been through um, positions of global pricing and reimbursement, um, leading obviously health economics groups, but also in commercial and development. And I feel like I've probably seen a lot of facets uh, of the things that have happened. But this is one of the uh, most important points of where we are right now in the history of the way that things are likely to change. And that's why I'm glad that we're going to be able to focus just a little bit on the U.S. and talk about what the Inflation Reduction Act might mean, both for manufacturers in the U.S. market, but also those wider implications um, across the globe. Exactly. And, and you mentioned already, I think, the most important topic. And I mean, we hear that as well quite a lot. I think we have both been at, at ISPOR a couple of weeks ago, but I think also when you speak with, with clients across the globe, right? I think one of the core questions which is really coming up in the last couple of months is the Inflation Reduction Act um, in the U.S. So, I mean, Maybe you could quickly summarize and get everybody again back on board, I would say, especially those who are not 100% familiar with that. So what is the Inflation Reduction Act? And maybe you can already as well touch base very briefly where you might potentially see some kind of impact, obviously on the industry and especially on the pricing of new products. Yeah, and I think it's important to uh, set the scene here and the fact that the Inflation Reduction Act um, is one of the third um pieces of legislation that has passed since 2021 that looks at trying to make sure that um, 
there is an increase in U.S. economic competitiveness, innovation, and industrial productivity. But the thing that actually is making uh, the big news for us is that this actually changes fundamentally the way in which the U.S. pharmaceutical market will work. So there are larger pieces to the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to focus right down onto the bit that actually is important for us, which is the change that they're bringing forward. And this is draft. It's currently the CMS guidance is out and uh, is available for comments. So this may change. But um, we have a provision that has been allowed in the negotiation for prices under Medicare and Medicaid, which allow negotiation to be able to be set around the price level that should be paid by the U.S. government, who is a substantial funder of the pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. that are bought in the United States. And that is a complete change. That is like a 180 from where we used to be, where there was a non-interference clause and the market uh, basically set the prices uh, that the government paid. So these implications are wide and very, very important for manufacturers to understand because it changes the way incentive for innovation mm -hmm. on our part. And of course, it changes the revenues that, uh, that pharmaceutical companies can expect. So it'll apply across the whole portfolio of products that the companies are bringing. But since we also know that the majority of revenues for no, manufacturers, when I can say that word, <laughs> is from the US market, it's also going to have a knock-on effect. Because if the revenues decline in the US market, then do the revenues for the manufacturer decline overall? Or do they try to make adjustments in other markets, which have traditionally been able to, if you like, piggyback off the US revenues because they need to maintain a higher price in those markets, which previously they could allow to decline or degrade, as we know in Europe, their prices degrade over time. So there is this big uh, speculation that's going on right now is what will that mean? Mm. What will that mean in the US? And we can have a look at some of the implications in the US, but also what will that mean for new products who are going to be launched globally? Will that mean higher prices in other countries? And that's certainly one of the things I would think that is going to be a focus for manufacturers coming forward is how do we cope with that expected reduction now that we know that will kick in with our products. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful time to discuss it. And perhaps we should get into the pieces of the IRA that are actually likely to make a big difference as currently proposed. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think thank, thanks, uh, first of all, I think just to set the scene as well. But I think for me, I think you raised already a couple of things where we would maybe firstly again get everybody back on stage. I think you said, for example, 100, 180 uh, degrees kind of change. So I think coming out of Europe, and I, I mean, you're the perfect person to discuss, right? Because you have seen all of the kind of settings already. Um, how could we foresee the current or maybe the old? kind of price setting in the US. I mean, you said the market sets the price, but I mean, 
we all know, let's say, that healthcare is not a typical market itself, right? We have only, let's say, a few payers. And I mean, here, we're currently just discussing about Medicare, Medicaid even, right? So it's mm-hmm. the, the next kind of question is even, is it maybe too complex what we discuss here? Because it's maybe just in quotes, Medicare, Medicaid, we have so many other kind of payers as well in the US. What, what, what are your thoughts around those kind of, let's say, questions maybe, which are a bit more broader than just the Inflation Reduction Act and the direct impact what you have just slightly mentioned already. Yeah, and it's a really good point that you're bringing up because there is this direct impact, which is in these government-funded programs. So let's make sure that people understand Medicare is a government program which funds the added Part D, which funds directly pharmaceuticals, so for the outpatient pharmaceuticals. Part B is always included in, uh, in clinic pharmaceuticals. So the government funds pharmaceuticals for the 65 and older population under Medicare, and then under Medicaid, um, low income and other vulnerable populations. So these two programs, you could think, well, that's only part of, surely there's a whole commercial part of the market, Mm -hmm. which is true in the US, which is not affected by the IRA. But what we say in America is where the government goes, so will the commercial sector. So if the people who are handling the Medicare Part D, sort of these people, uh, that's handled through commercial money, the commercial insurers who handle this, know what price they're getting in Medicare and Medicaid for a particular product, do you not think that will have a knock-on effect? For the commercial part of the of the mm. market, absolutely. Yeah, it will absolutely have an effect. There is no way that a uh, a government negotiated price which is lower mm. than the price which is in the commercial market will exist because there's this artificial gate between commercial and uh, government funded sources. They're handled through the same type of bodies, the PBMs the insurers, and that will have a huge knock-on effect into that group. So while we say the direct effect, we're also looking at the indirect effect. And like we say, I'm also going to keep cautioning that this is how it's currently set. There has already been, yesterday in fact, uh, Merck was the first pharmaceutical company to bring a lawsuit against the IRA on the grounds Mm -hmm. that it's unconstitutional. So we are not only seeing pushback in terms of comments on the way that CMS is looking to implement this, which is the the uh, Centre for Medicare and Medicaid Services, about how they're going to assess this price, but we're also seeing legal challenge. So while we're in this state, we're going to talk about the current way it's looking to roll out, and then we'll see over the next months, this will continue to be an issue throughout 2023 about how does this actually work in practice? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I think you, you brought up a, a lot of different kind of um, factors in here. Absolutely. And just very briefly, also, um, besides those kind of impacts, I mean, what is obviously also always a big kind of question mark, what I have as well heard in the last couple of weeks is obviously the kind of factors for those kind of negotiations. What are the likely drivers when such kind of negotiations might happen? Is it really just, let's say, the the evidence base, as we know that, let's say, from those call it maybe 
benefit assessment kind of uh, countries like we see it in Germany and France? Or is there any kind of way that maybe anything on health economics would get an impact? And obviously, we have as well heard those kind of rumors on external price referencing. Is, what are the current kind of factors being discussed as potential main drivers for those negotiations? Yeah. And I think, first of all, we should say um, the drugs, how, do, how are drugs going to be picked and when? So mm -hmm. beginning in 2026, the, uh, the Medicare prices in Part D will start to be set on a selected number of drugs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this isn't every drug that it's going to affect. So we're going to initially see this rolled out with Part D, where they are going to start taking, uh, I think it's the top um, the top 50 overall, but it's like they're taking them in $15 chunks. And those will be the ones that are eligible for selection. So they'll be like 15, 15 as the years roll on, and it'll be imp implemented the next year. Mm -hmm. In Part D, what it and uh, and then it'll start in 2028 for part B. Remember, part D is outpatient, part B is inclined. So the drugs with the highest total Medicare expenditures will be ranked. That's regardless of rebate. They would have to be single source drugs, and that, that means uh, doesn't just mean uh, one form of one drug. It means all dosage forms and strengths within the same active moiety for a small molecule or active ingredient for biologic. Those will be uh, ranked in terms of how much they are costing the government. And if they are seven more or more years for the small molecule, or 11 or more years for FDA approval for the biologics, those would be the ones that would be up for price negotiation. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that mean? Let's look at that a moment, that implication there. Uh, first of all, there's seven years or more for single, the, the, you know, the small molecules. That means the FDA approval has occurred and these products have had significant time on market. So when we're talking about evidence, for example, well, what type of evidence do we think that we can bring when we've got seven years of real world use? Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing here is going to be the, the extent to which the focus will be on the prior sort of randomized controlled evidence versus the impact in the real world. And one of the things that it seems to be that is the focus for these uh, drugs when they are selected is that they will actually be looked at in terms mostly of comparative effectiveness. So there isn't any issue, uh, there isn't any discussion at the moment that would actually bring into account for this manufacturer fair price is what type of offset. And in fact, as you know, um, the quality has been ruled out as a way to be able to look at these products. So when we're looking at this, we're looking about uh, effectiveness where from what data, in what populations. And it's seven years from the first indication. So when you've got different indications for the same particular entity, that means that if you're setting a price in one aspect, in one indication, there is an, a huge knock-on effect 
for future, you know, like the, the sort of add-on indications that people would potentially bring. So when we say evidence, it's not clear right now that actually there would be an opportunity to be able to bring the type of evidence that we would want as health economists in terms of offset to the rest of the society in a way that will make sense or improvement in utility and quality of life. It's very much a point about who is going to be chosen, what's going to be considered to be the comparator, and how are we going to be able to say that therefore there is a manufacturer of fair price for that particular entity over and above the comparator. And all of these are things which people have commented on about trying to make sure that we do a better job of expending the value flower, as we like to call it, mm -hmm. from the S4 uh, group, so that we actually look at those areas of benefit and not just take it down to a, this is your generic competitor, you have a very much lower price because that's the generic you're going against, for yeah. example. So I think those are up for, those are really up for grabs about what evidence can we actually bring, and this real difference between the the sort of randomized controlled evidence we had at launch versus now post seven years, mm. and we we have evidence of actual use in practice. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, still, I mean, as far as I understood, the key let's say selection criteria if a product would need to be negotiated, it's basically based on the expenditures, right? It's, so it's, it's basically a budget impact question, right? Certainly for their selection, um, it certainly is. I mean, and the fact that they do that um, sort of irrespective of rebate is a big deal here because rebates yeah. can, uh, can be huge exactly. within different markets. So the selection seems to be on a, on a very much on a budget impact. Um, and I think the, a question for a lot of what's being asked, um, you know, for the manufacturer. So from the point of selection, when they, when you're notified as a manufacturer, you have 30 days <laughs> currently to respond. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a whole, that's a very short piece of time, yes. right? <laughs> and some of the things that they're asking for is manufacturer cost and ROIs. Mm -hmm. And this is very much more on a sort of accounting basis than we're used to talking about value. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of the pushback that the, exactly. the industry is uh, looking at is, okay, you know, comparative effectiveness, we're used to that with health technology assessment. It depends on which comparator you're going to take, which is a big deal in itself. How are you going to choose the comparator? But okay, you know, we, we, sort, of, we sort of dealt with that and we know how to do that. But what's all this data that you want from the manufacturer on a, on very much the uh, cost basis? Because that seems to be much more less about what the added value of the product is mm -hmm. and about controlling profit. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's all very very relevant kind of uh, point you you just raised. Um, I want to quickly let's say go a bit back to your some of your intro words as well. I think you mentioned as well that maybe because of the, let's say, lower expected revenues, 
Um, mm -hmm. There might be maybe even a kind of negative impact on the innovation itself in the industry, especially as, I mean, you also, I think, mentioned it before. I think you you called it piggyback uh, or you, I think uh, in uh, I think some economists also call it, I think, uh, the, the free riding of. Free rider, yeah. Yes, of the, let's say, every country outside of the U.S., right? So innovation is basically being paid for by the U.S. population and the system there and everybody else is basically free riding on lower prices. Um, when we would maybe have a bit of even a broader view, right? I mean, money is just, let's say, limited uh, or let's say in, in a limited way available for, across all industries. Would that potentially even mean that we get maybe less and fewer innovations because of those kind of disincentives, let's say, to um, further invest into healthcare, maybe that money might be maybe even moved into other areas. What, what is your kind of idea on that? Yeah, actually, you know, this is one of the things that I think um, is really the um, the crux mm -hmm. is, wow, this could really make a big difference in terms of R&D investment and products, you know, coming because of the, the the sort of perverse incentives that this mm -hmm. this creates, and I know that uh, people I mean, people are always going to say, "Oh, well, that's what the industry always says." They always say that they'll have less R and D, and it's not affected R and D, you know, to this uh, the, to this point. And I think that's possibly a little naive in this because of the such a, a fundamental change in the market. Um, I know that there have been uh, very good um, reviews, actually. So there was one from the University of uh, Southern California that looked at uh, the impact of the of less R&D. Um, I know there was one very recently that, that came out from another company that said, OK, what does that mean? So um, uh, Forbes have done one, for example, and it means that they looked at uh, different aspects and said, okay, so there is some incentives here that don't, you know, like make very much, very big differences. So if you're going to go off your first indication for these seven, uh, after the post, the post seven year thing or the post 11 year thing, um, then there's a choice of indication, which is going to be fundamental, right? Because add-on indications will, will, uh, also be negatively affected. So the first indication, which may have been for a small population, will probably not happen. It will probably be a larger indication that launches first. Mm. So instead of going for a small indication and then branching out, um, there probably will be a reduction in those types of uh, smaller niche uh, indications coming. And then what is the incentive to do add-on indications if you're going to get reduced uh, monies, revenues, for all of those add-on indications? There's also this thing about the difference in timing between small molecules and biologics. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means that you've got an incentive to just do biologics and no exactly. more small molecules. Exactly. Now, while we have seen an increase in biologics, our understanding of biology has improved and the processes that we've been able to put in place, you know, like think CRISPR technologies, gene editing, these things are um, cutting edge. And yes, possibly we do want to encourage those. It means that there's going to be a focus of manufacturers to move towards those types mm. of indications and away from some of the small molecules, which potentially could benefit, could mean that certain populations will not ever 
get uh, a medicine that they actually need. It's uh, it's a very fundamental uh, difference that would occur where if you're a manufacturer looking for how you're going to launch and you know that this is likely to come up in, uh, in Medicare as a large expense, yeah. And you therefore are going to be under negotiation, and you therefore are going to get this MFP, which everybody is assuming is yeah. going to be significantly less than exactly. the market price or the list price. Then you're going to be thinking, well, where should I launch? Is this worth the investment? Why would I do follow-on studies? Yeah, because I'm going to have I'm going to have this uh, disincentive if this comes up to look for those sort of things. So there's some really key pieces for manufacturers as they start to look at their portfolios. My biologic small molecule, my indication selection, my follow-on indications, my pricing US versus Europe, these are all on the table currently because of this particular measure. Yeah. So I think the the uh, that's why so many people are talking about it because it's it's not just their Oh well, you know the there's a claw back in Hungary, or you know uh, we have to give two percent and so on. This is a fundamental difference in the marketplace that will make a difference for pharmaceutical manufacturers of any type because of the particular questions that are being asked right now. Exactly. No, no, I, I fully agree. I think that's. I mean, as we said already in the in the introduction, it is the big kind of discussion ongoing already for quite uh, some time now. Um, moving a bit towards the end, but still, I, I have that kind of, let's say, core question. You also, let's say, raised it, I think, two, three times already. Um, I mean, there are some people, and I I would not really agree with them, but some people might just think that because of the Inflation Reduction Act and all what, you know, all of the kind of potential impact would you have as well just raised um, uh, in the U.S., uh, some people might think that maybe prices across the world might generally, let's say, increase because of the pressure, let's say, on the industry to, let's say, still obviously, let's say, keep somewhere, some would say the revenues, others would say their kind of um, uh, return on investment, which needs obviously, let's say, to fulfill different requirements from investors, external and internals. Others might say, and that's basically where I would be probably more thinking of, is that because of the US and the potential then lower prices, at least for some of those kind of products, um, you might potentially even see further, let's say a further kind of negative impact on European prices. I know, you know, it's very difficult to, let's say, generalize at this stage, especially also, but what is your feeling around those kind of discussions, let's say from a global pricing perspective? Yeah, and this is this is sort of, Absolutely, the the sort of I'm going backwards and forwards in my language, but it's a sort of crux or pinnacle or fundamental element is how will that change? Well, let's take it if you're sitting in the shoes of a pharmaceutical manufacturer and you've got a, a breakthrough drug that you want to be able to bring to the world, and you know that uh, that you launch in the US and the the clock starts ticking. That's one of the things that you're going to, and we can model this out. So we we anticipate negotiation. We anticipate the drop in prices. So do you still go with a high price, leaving those first few years to be able to capture the revenues, knowing that you'll come 
to a moderate price, which potentially is, you know, where you had like the US, the ex-US or European prices fall to. Does that mean that you actually say we will want to have a tighter price corridor across the globe so that we actually don't um, we don't allow that denigration of price as much as we had? Do you say, actually, I'm going to launch in wider indications in Europe or or uh Posit the fact that you will cut off lower middle income countries where you know that the price difference that we've offered in the lower uh, middle income countries is actually uh, for the benefit of those countries, but is also potentially being taken into account because we've also had this point about um, the fact that they will, uh, CMS might look at all prices, uh, look out at reference pricing across the globe. I think these things are are on an individual basis, you know, indications, mm -hmm. the type of um, this strategy that that pharmaceutical companies follow. What will be their their individual strategies, and the strategies will differ. And that's why I think there's no right point to this. You know, it's not like oh, this will definitely raise prices in Europe. There is a knock-on effect to Europe, which we know is going to happen. Yeah, but they. The world will not be a good place if we are not getting orphan indications, if we're not getting follow-on indications, if we're not being able to see that those 40, which is a, one of the uh, one of the pieces of work, in, uh, indicated that potentially the world will miss out on 40 new drugs on the rate of innovation that we've come forward with in the past few years. And we look at that going forward. Potentially 40 of those would be cancelled. Those are not good things. Yeah. So... But there, there also is a supposition about the fair price. And that's the issue that we are in at the moment is that we are in a hypothetical situation. So I do think while we can, because all, you know what they say about modeling, all models are wrong. <laughs> that's what we know. All models are wrong. It's just the extent to which they are wrong. But what we do know is that this is a, this is a change point. This is one of those like, leverage points in history where indicating in the US market that certain things will be um, not given the incentive that you potentially would like them to have will have knock-ons. And whether that means that there'll be less competition because those 40 products in Europe would have brought the price down faster. Mm. Whether that means that there will be a, a tighter price corridor because we don't want to see the amount of um, loss of revenues that we would have potentially had that will hold out mm. longer in Europe. Those things are all possible strategy, um, you know, sort of implications of what's happening with the IRA. But it isn't clear what's going to happen with the IRA because, right, like I say, at the moment, one people are fighting to get what do you mean by a manufacturer fair price and this consideration of evidence what do you mean by the comparator what are we going to be allowed to put in real world evidence does this you know like will this um, affect the whole class as we're expecting they're expecting that it affects the whole class once we can have some of the answers to those even if it gets past the legal uh, mm -hmm. challenge um, at the moment. We will see how this develops. 
But the main thing for people to take away from what we're talking about is this is not a small blip. Yeah. This is a major change in a in the major market for pharmaceutical manufacturers, which means that whichever way this plays out, life will be different in 2026 than it is in 2023. No, I, I, I fully agree. And I think those were probably the kind of right words towards the end of that episode. I think, Anita, thanks a lot for all of your insights. And uh, let's just see how the kind of current, let's say, model discussions we have might look in the future. Sounds good. Always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Stephen. Thank you, Anita. So this time we have had a topic in the podcast episode, which is maybe not showing such a kind of bright future according to the discussion I just had with Anita Borrell. I think uh, as he said it, and uh, I agree with that, I think there might be now really a major change. And I think most important that major change is happening in the major market of the pharmaceutical industry. I think um, there are other kind of aspects, obviously, what we have not even touched base so far, which is not only the incentive or maybe disincentive for innovation, but it's also around jobs, obviously, because maybe then of less innovation, um, a lower price or other, other kind of aspects. I think still important, and that's I think also what Anita said in her introduction, it's still, let's say, a draft out for comments of that Inflation Reduction Act, even though that uh, the US President Biden signed into law in August 2022. Very important, and we have not even touched base on that a lot during that kind of discussion now. Uh, at the end of the day, it's also around fair or maybe call it value-based pricing. And there's also then the question, what is a fair price at the end of the day, not only for the US, but obviously globally. So currently we have a lot of discussion that's probably universally or globally taken of discussion around cost, cost of healthcare, cost of the healthcare system in general. And we don't speak a lot about the value, what obviously healthcare brings to patients and to the wider population. Let's just see how the whole kind of Inflation Reduction Act will really pass and finally, and which kind of impact that would really have, not only on the US, but also globally. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.